Good morning again and welcome. We're so glad that you are here. Uh, as Mark said in our opening, in the, in the midst of tragedy, we cling to God, we cling to each other, and we uh, just again, um, as a church that really wants to be a part of our community, uh, recognize that. And as, uh, as I move into the scripture, it's a, it's a scripture unlike any other I've ever uh, preached from or have ever uh, read to you before. And I think today that it, uh, that it could be even more important than, than ever. It, it's about some of the hard things that the family of God has faced. Uh, some of these of our own making, uh, but a bunch of it just being a part of a broken world where tragic things can happen, uh, where good days can become bad days really fast. You see, the, the people of God that we talk about here week after week, and especially have been talking about in this season of Advent, they, they knew who they were because they had a really good understanding of where they came from, which is what we'll talk about a little bit today. So understanding where they came from impacted who and how they understood who they were today, and that's what gave them the ability to move forward. You know, we've been talking about this waiting that they've been in, 400 years of, of silence from God. How can you do that? Only because they understood where they came from and who they were, impacting who they are today and that giving them the power to move forward. So, again, this is a really different kind of scripture, um, but I hope, you, I hope you like it. It's from Matthew chapter 1. This is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, Judah the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar, Perez, the father of Hezron, Hezron, the father of Ram, Ram, the father of Abinadab, Abinadab, the father of Nashon, Nashon, the father of Salmon, Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab, Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth, Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of King David. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. Solomon, the father of Rehoboam, Rehoboam, the father of Abijah, Abijah, the father of Asa, Asa, the father of Jehoshaphat, Jehoshaphat, the father of Jehoram, Jehoram, the father of Uzziah, Uzziah, the father of Jotham, Jotham, the father of Ahaz, Ahaz, the father of Hezekiah, Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh, Manasseh, the father of Amon, Amon, the father of Josiah, and Josiah, the father of Jeconiah and his brothers at the time of the exile to Babylon. After the exile to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shealtiel, Shealtiel the father of Zerubbabel, Zerubbabel the father of Abihud, Abihud was the father of Eliakim, Eliakim the father of Azor, Azor the father of Zadok, Zadok the father of Achim, Achim the father of Elihud, Elihud the father of Eleazar, Eleazar the father of Nathan, Nathan the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary. And Mary was the mother of Jesus, who is called the Messiah. The family for the people of God was everything. Their connection to those who came before him, the Hebrew people, the Jews, they knew who they were because they knew where they came from, and that gave them the hope to move forward. Just like you care about your ancestors and where you came from, you may be at a family gathering recently and you're retelling the stories that have come before just like you care about your ancestry and, and, and look at those things and talk about those things, the people of God, the Hebrew people, the Israelites care deeply about their family. They knew their family. They were able to list them 
like we did here, 42 generations. The only way they could wait the way we've been talking about them waiting is that they understood what their family before them had gone through. And they understood that God had moved them through that and God would move them through this. So that lineage that I just read to you, it all leads to Joseph. Joseph is the one who's pledged to be married to Mary. You may remember her as the bride-to-be who's now telling Joseph, her fiancé, I'm pregnant, and he knows not by him, and she says it's by God, and that's a lot to take in. Joseph, we're not told that much about him. In fact, he's sort of this silent character in the biblical story. He says nothing. He probably said stuff, but it's not recorded. And so um, we get a few of his actions, and all we really know about Joseph is his family. But we know a lot, as you can see, about his family. Joseph has this amazing pedigree. We just went back, like I said, 42 generations. And you, saw, you heard some names in there, but what you may not have recognized is those are the names for the people of God. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. And then we get to Jesse. And if you get to Jesse, that, that means you might get to David, who was the greatest king of Israel And and so that means that Joseph is a part of the royal family. There are kings in his ancestry. That's the kind of person, right, that we would expect the Messiah to come from. But Matthew, I know we've done a lot of names. Matthew is the one who wrote that genealogy. Matthew, the one who starts his story about Jesus with this long list what is he trying, I've wondered, what is he trying to tell us about Joseph? Is he just trying to tell us that he's royalty? Is he just trying to tell us that he's from the line of David? I think there's more. The reason I think that is because if Matthew just wanted to tell us Joseph was from the line of David, he could have just said Joseph from the line of David, which is exactly what Luke does in Luke chapter two when he's telling us about Joseph. He says, this is Joseph. He's from the line and the house of David. So what's Matthew up to here? And what in the world does it have to do with our lives? And today, give me a minute on that, okay. (laughs) What is Matthew up to here? Well, I think he's giving us a few clues that his genealogy, this list here, is not just to tell us that Joseph is a part of the royal family. I think that he's trying to tell us more. I think he's trying to tell us who gets included in the story. I think Matthew's trying to make sure that we don't miss the full story of the coming of the Christ. I'll cut to the chase. Matthew's genealogy is different, different from any other Ancient Middle Eastern genealogy. I'm guessing there's not many people here who study ancient Middle Eastern genealogies. Probably not many people could have recited those names like I did. What you don't know, as I said, most of them wrong. I just confidently uh, said them. (laughs) But what's different about Matthew's genealogy, well, here, here. It was supposed to be a list of men. A Middle Eastern genealogy listed men only. If you go back to uh, genealogies from this time, there's a line that starts many of them that says this, let us now praise famous men. That's what they would say to tell about their family. Let me tell you about the famous men. Let me tell you about the men who who got it right. And then they would list them. Luke, in fact, uh, in the other gospel, he gives a genealogy. He goes back 76 generations from Jesus to Adam. Can you imagine listing those names? And Luke lists zero women. It just wasn't done. It just wasn't a way that they communicated about the family. So I don't want to overdo it here. I mean, Matthew only lists four women. But why break the pattern, Matthew? That's what I must ask today. 
Why did he step outside of the normal way of tracing someone's lineage? And the only way I think we can find that out is by looking at the four women that Matthew lists. So I'm going to tell you about them briefly. The first was Tamar. Have you heard of Tamar? She's not one we talk about all that much. The story of Tamar and the story of God is frankly one of our worst stories. Tamar was married to one of Judah's sons. So you heard Judah's name in that, in that long list. But Tamar's husband died. It was their custom then that she would marry one of her husband's brothers, and she did. But then he died. Judah had another son who was too young to be married, and he promised to Tamar that you will, when he grows up, you can marry, my son, marry this last son. But when the son got old enough, Judah did not keep his promise. So Tamar does something peculiar. She takes off her widow's clothes. She's had to live her identity as a widow and instead puts on the clothes of a prostitute. She goes and sits down by the city gate, and while Judah is going into the city, he approaches her as if that's his custom. Not recognizing that it's his daughter-in-law, he solicits this prostitute, and from their encounter, Tamar becomes pregnant. When Judah learns of his daughter-in-law's pregnancy, he is incensed. He thinks that she has now defiled the family name. It's a, a dramatic moment when Judah demands that Tamar be burned. And even more dramatic when Tamar shows up holding Judah's signet ring that she received on the night they were together, letting Judah know that the baby she was carrying was his. By Levitical law, they were both should be punishable by death, but they weren't. God saved them, and God saved the family. And amazingly, Matthew lists Tamar as an ancestor of Jesus. Merry Christmas. <laughs> the next woman listed is named Rahab. Rahab was the most famous prostitute in the Bible, but that's not why we remember Rahab. Rahab's remembered because when two spies were sent into Jericho to see if God really was going to lead the people into the promised land, Rahab risked her whole life to save them. It's an incredible story. A Gentile and a prostitute comes to the knowledge that the God of Abraham is the one true God, and she risked everything to save these two spies. She ends up marrying a Jew herself, a man named Salmon, and Salmon and Rahab have a son named Boaz, and Rahab becomes the great-great-grandmother of King David. Matthew lists her in his genealogy of Jesus. The third woman's name is Ruth. Ruth has a whole book named after her in the Bible. Her story is a beautiful one. Ruth is, is, is a woman of honor, of great character. And after her husband dies, notice there's a lot of death in the story of the family of God, a lot of loss, a lot of tragedy. And Ruth decides that she will stay connected in relationship with her mother-in-law, Naomi. She says, I'm going to live where you live. I'm going to go where you go. The reason that's significant is because Ruth was a Moabite, meaning she had every right and every chance to go back to her family, but instead she said, I'm staying with this family. And Ruth is sort of grafted into the family, not as a, a sort of member of the family, but as a full member of the family of God. She becomes the great-great-grandmother of King David, the one through whom the Messiah would come. Matthew includes her in her list, and we say, good choice, Matthew. The fourth woman listed, her name is Bathsheba. But Matthew won't even say her name. He calls her, this is how he refers to her, the one who had been Uriah's wife. It's confusing, I know. 
in the list, Bathsheba is the mother of Solomon, the wife of David. So what's this listing? Before that, Bathsheba, you may know her name, she was the one who David had an affair with, who became pregnant herself, and who led to David consenting to the killing of her husband, Uriah. A big mess. David's worst moment. Every time David tried to make a plan to fix the mess, he made a bigger mess. And Matthew lists her here, not by her name, but by her former dead husband's name that David killed. Matthew brings again one of our worst stories and puts it right in front of us. You may have somebody like that in your family, I don't know, who's always bringing up this stuff, you know, it's like, leave it alone, you know, they're all, it's like, just let it go, man, it's Thanksgiving, you know, chill out. I'm a pastor now, there's no reason to talk about it, you know. It's like, <laughs> Tamar, Rahab, Ruth, Bathsheba. And there's one more, actually. I said it wrong. There's not just four women listed in this genealogy. There's five. The fifth one, he ends with Mary. So in a list that would have normally included zero women, Matthew lists five, Tamar, Rahab, Ruth, Bathsheba, and Mary. What does that mean for us? This may sound dramatic, but I believe it. It means everything, guys. It means everything. It means everything today. Because Matthew will not exclude our mess from our story. Matthew says, let's be real about our brokenness. Let's remember the tears that our ancestors shed. Let's remember the nights that they despaired. That's who our family is. That's a part of it. The story of Jesus is a story of people getting saved. And so if there's a saving going on, I want to be saved from all my sin. I want it all on the table. I don't want just some of it. The listing of these folks is the reminder that God has always been in the business of making something beautiful of our messes. It's not just the Christmas story. That's the cool thing. It's like they're saying this is the family story. God's, God's mercy has always been that wide. His grace has always been that deep. The story, it shows us about messes that we've made, but we also see in it just a brokenness and a pain and a grief that's outside any of their makings and outside any of our understandings. Not unlike what our community has experienced today in the loss of a young boy on a day that was a, a good day, on a good occasion, something so bad can happen. What a tragedy. What a mess. I don't understand. I don't have words. We're broken. The genealogy of Jesus shows us that our Messiah comes right into the mess, right into the real story, right into the thick of it. Matthew's like, I could have given you a, a whitewashed genealogy and told you about famous men, but instead, he says, you need the full story because we need Jesus to save all of it. When we're real about our mess, we can really be saved. You know, when we're real about our messes, we can really be saved. Some of us have only brought a portion of our mess to God, right? And it feels good. We've been cleaned up a little bit. It feels great. Well, he's saying, I can handle the whole mess, Matthew's saying, let's remember that Judah 
did not keep his promise. By the way, the listing of the women is not how we remember the mess that the women made. It's how Matthew is bringing it all on the table. In fact, by doing that, he's calling out the men for so many years of making scapegoats out of the women. He's not letting us skip over Judah. Let's remember Uncle Judah. We're like, not our best moment, you know? Why remember Uncle Judah? Because some of you have some Uncle Judah in you. And I have some Uncle Judah in me. And that's our family. David as well, you know, he messed up and he kept making bigger messes. I do it all the time. You know, you have a mess and you, you try to make a plan and cover up the mess. It makes a bigger mess. It only got good for David when he came clean and said, God, I have no solution for my mess but you. When we're real about our mess, we can really be saved. I hear in this genealogy that there isn't anything that you have done that will disqualify you. I'm sorry. You know, sometimes we're so miserable, we want to be taken off the list, right? Just disqualify me. I'm sorry. I can't, I can't do it. You're not going to be the one who's going to come up with a thing that's so big that God can't redeem it. You're not that big. You're not bigger than God. Our family tree shows us that God can redeem anything, any moment. That doesn't mean that there aren't consequences or accountability. Sometimes when we get talking about the wideness of God's grace and the depth of his mercy, people start thinking, well, aren't there consequences? Yeah, I gave you these short paragraphs on those stories. You go back and, and read them. You will not miss consequences. They are all over the place. Most of us don't need to be reminded of the consequences of our mess-ups. But I also don't want us to miss the accountability that I think one of the reasons Matthew's including this is he's saying, I want to tell the whole story. I want you to see it all because it's actually there in, the, in being accountable to that that we experience our lives really being changed. Get this. Judah ends up on record saying, I messed up more than Tamar. Judah says, I did not keep my promise. He wants everybody to know. He says, she is more righteous than me. And Judah, by stepping into accountability, steps into a way that his life can change so that he can move forward. Judah is not relegated to the one who messed it up and keep his name off the list. Instead, we speak of the Messiah as coming from the tribe of Judah. We speak of our Jesus as the Lion of Judah. Not one who never messed up, but one who stepped into that and said, I will hold myself accountable for that. David is a king. So he holds himself even more accountable. He's accountable not just to his family, but to his nation. It's amazing. The more responsibility, the more accountability. A king is not just accountable to his family. He's accountable to the whole nation. This is amazing. David writes a prayer of confession that becomes sung in public worship in the nation. If you go and look at it, Psalm 51 uh, there's some footnotes, uh, a liner notes on the song for worship. And it says, yeah, this song was written when David's sin was exposed by Nathan, when he came clean and said, I have no other solution but God. These men and women, our family, are the pictures of, of, of a mess and redemption, of forgiveness and accountability. Guys, Christmas is about God saving the world, about God saving the world. 
It's not about sometimes what we as Christians make it about saving us from commercialism, saving us from our busyness, saving us from our stressed out lives. It's that, but it's more than that. It's saving us from our sin. It needs to be named. If not, we don't get to hear, there isn't anything you've done that will disqualify you. If you only get a portion of it, you don't get the full message. There isn't anything that you can do that will disqualify you. The, gr- the grace of God is in this truth that Jesus is a complete and full Savior. What I'm saying is there isn't anything you're facing right now that will keep you out. Some of us are up against something and, and we really think there's no way I can get through this. I hear you talk about the blessing. I hear you talk about the promise. The obstacles are too much. But that's not what our family story says. And that's why we tell it over and over. I wonder if this is a part of what Matthew is getting at with this genealogy. Like, why start your story with that? The reason is because it leads right to the predicament that Joseph was facing. What was the predicament? His bride-to-be, Mary, was pregnant. And he knows, not by him. And she says, by God. And that's a lot to take in. I don't know this to be true, but I wonder if Joseph when he looked into the eyes of Mary, remembered his family. I wonder if when he looked into the eyes of Mary, what if he saw Ruth in her eyes, a noble woman telling the truth? What if when Joseph looked into the eyes of Mary, he saw Rahab, a woman who would risk everything to save the family of God? What if he thought about, I don't know, what if he looked at at this pregnancy and thought this could get her killed, and in that moment he thought about Tamar? and remembered how she was saved, a part of their family story. What if he thought about, this might what I thought about, what if he thought about, how are people gonna look at me and Mary? What are they gonna think, right? And what if in that moment he remembered Bathsheba and David? What if Joseph thought, God has never abandoned my family, and he's not going to start now? I want the full genealogy. I need it. Noble Joseph said, says, I think God has not abandoned my family and he's not gonna start with me. So I don't know where you are, but God is not going to abandon you now. That's not what he does. What if today we're supposed to remember the family? What if we're supposed to look into each other's eyes? You know, And remember, God has not abandoned us. We look in each other's eyes and we see the lineage and that's what gives us the power to move forward. The Christmas story is for everybody, male and female, Jew and Gentile, saint and sinner, and that means you. That means you. I want to invite you to pray with me. It's a prayer of confession. It's us saying we have not gotten it right at all. (laughs) We've messed up and we're in a mess and we're looking to our Savior. So I invite you to pray these words with me. Merciful God, we confess that we have not loved you with our whole heart. We have failed to be an obedient church. We have not done your will. We have broken your law. We have rebelled against your love. We have not loved our neighbors, and we have not heard the cry of the needy. Forgive us, we pray. Free us for joyful obedience through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Hear the good news. Christ died for us while we were yet sinners. That proves God's love toward us. In the name of Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. 
And now I need you to say it to me, okay? <laughs> now together, glory to God, amen.